I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at my. Bookie, it was another big week for us here on the Glory UJ podcast with our picks of the week. And I hope you guys were able to cash in on all of that action at mybookie.ag. But if not, it's okay, guys. It's never too late. Still plenty of time to jump in on all the action. Just go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Or if you want to avoid the playthrough, use the code 200 cash to get a cash bonus added straight to your account. So make the best choice for you and get in on all the action today. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today to recap Georgia's latest dismantling of the Florida Gators, and that never gets too old to say, guys, it's a beautiful thing, love saying it, but joining me today is my co-host, Curtis, 42 to 20. Could have been, what, about 50 to 13 or so if we had really wanted it to be, but regardless, another glorious beatdown of the Florida Gators. Again, that will never get old. That's three in a row and six of the last seven against Florida. And for the first time in series history, one of the teams in the series has won three straight by 20 points or more. We are now 41 in one. You guys, I'm sure all of you have seen this stat. It was on the, uh, the, the broadcast last night. But since losing to Florida back in 2020, the last time that we lost the Gators, we are now 41 in one in those last 42 games compared to 21 in 20 for Florida. So if the series was not already turned around from the disaster that was the 90s and early 2000s, basically my entire childhood, it is officially turned around now, guys. I think we can say that. I can actually enjoy my birth- birthday weekends now as a child, which is the time you typically really enjoy birthdays. It was harder for me because we were always losing to Florida, sometimes on my birthday, but always like the day before, day after my birthday. So it's nice now as an adult when I don't actually want to get older and don't like birthdays as much, but it's nice to be able to kind of enjoy it a little bit. So Jacksonville um, is still well Jacksonville, I guess, and it is what it is. But the weather was nice. It was a great weekend in Jacksonville. But Curtis, we got 
plenty to talk about, and I want to open today, do something a little bit different than we normally do. I want to open with a rundown of the first few drives of this game, because I think that really tells the story of how this game ultimately played out. So let's start here. So Florida jumps out to a quick 7-0 lead with a very surgical 7-play, 68-yard drive that was capped by a 25-yard touchdown catch and run by freshman Eugene Wilson. Got to give Billy Napier credit. It was a really well-schemed first drive, really well-scripted opening drive. But Curtis, what I'm curious about for you, after that first drive, what was your emotional state? We're down 7 nothing. Florida comes right down the field, drives down our throat, puts a touchdown on the board, and it's like, okay, um, all right, we're down right out of the gate. So what was your emotional state at that point? I was a little frustrated that it was so easy, I think is kind of where I was at, but I was kind of just still waiting because Georgia right now hasn't always been winning the first quarter, so I kind of was in the position where I was going to wait and see. Yeah, that was kind of where I was. I Okay, so old Tyler, just go back like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe even like five, six years ago. I don't know, maybe like three or four years ago, old Tyler would have lost his mind, been freaking out, would have been an absolute wreck in the stands there in Jacksonville. New Tyler, though, after back-to-back national titles and having seen this team show its championship medal time and time again, New Tyler was was not worried. Um, I'm not going to say I was completely unbothered. I mean, there was some. I'm always nervous going to every game. That's just kind of how I operate. I used to go in there like expecting the worst every game. That way, I'm prepared for it emotionally. I don't do that anymore because I mean, like we're 40 and one in the last 41 games. So there's that, right? I guess 41 and one now, right? Or is it? 40, I, I believe so. Yeah. Because it was 40 and one during the game, right? When I was watching the replay. So I guess it's 41 and one now. I, I think that's right. Games. Yeah. I think that's right. Something along those lines. You know, th- that does something to a man, right? So I, I, I'm always nervous. I was a little nervous. Actually, so we were obviously on the Georgia side. And, you know, you have these, like, rogue Florida fan- fans that are sometimes just on the wrong side. I don't know how that happens, but, hey, whatever. And so right next to my wife and I were these two Florida fans, and they were fine. They weren't, like, crazy. They kind of knew the deal. Um, but after that first drive, guy turns to me. I don't, I don't like, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk to you, dude. Like first of all, you're, you're, you're wearing blue. I'm wearing red. Like I, I don't want to have any conversation with you, but you know, I'll be polite. You talk to me, fine, whatever. He's like, Hey man, so what would it take for you to be nervous? And I was like, I'm always nervous, dude. Like, come on. Like I, I I'm a, I, I'm always nervous every single game. It's just how this works. But saying that I was not losing my mind. Cause like you said, Curtis, we've been there. We've done that in, in the past couple of years. Also this year, Curtis, we yeah, fourteen three and a half against South Carolina. As I say, honestly, it feels like it's been a while. I mean, outside of the Kentucky game, it's kind of been a while since we've really won the first half. Yeah, I mean, I was far. I mean, you were there in the stands with me at Auburn, Curtis. I you saw me. I was far more worried at Auburn than I was after that first drive against against Florida, right? Oh yeah. I mean, Auburn. Like I, I would. There were points in the second half like after. Well, when Dajan fumbled slash didn't fumble after Oscar fumbled and oh, the second we half. were all kind of just panicking at that point yeah I mean I just I threw I was saying some things I should not be saying out loud and it was just I was I, I was inconsolable because I, I just was like it's over it's flat over and then I saw the replays like no no he wouldn't have fumble and then I was back to life Tyler's back but I was far more concerned in that game I mean again that was deeper in the game but this was, you know, down seven nothing in a rivalry game like this, and coming off a of bye week, and that's a in the game in Jacksonville, Curtis, when it's split 50-50 like that. You know, you've been there. It's it's a the, no one has the home foot advantage until you get the momentum, right? It's like whoever has the momentum in the game tends to have more of a home field advantage in the in that stadium because their fans are loud and rowdy and they get fired up. And so I was kind of somewhat like, oh, man, I hope that doesn't happen. But we came back. We responded right away, which we have pretty much all year. We've responded like champs because that's who we are. We are champions. 
And so no, I wasn't freaking out, but I also was, you know, like, okay, let's just kick this into gear. But we did it pretty quickly, and and that uh, kind of assuaged my concerns there pretty quickly. So yes, we did respond, Curtis, with that solid field goal drive. We like to put seven on the board there after they had that opening touchdown, but cut to seven three. And then the next drive, Curtis, we did what I was saying all week long coming to the game, saying that we needed to do. We need to get them to, get them to third and long. They were 109th nationally coming to the game in third down percentage or third down conversions. They converted a couple of them in the first drive, Curtis, right? They and, did, um, yeah, and some long ones too, realistically. Yeah, and like in the first drive, we got them third and long. I said, hell yeah, that's where we want to be. And then they converted them. I said, oh, hell no, that's not what we want to happen. This cannot be good. And that that I guess if I was concerned, it was that. I was like, wait a minute. This is one of the major advantages we had in this game our number one third down defense in the country against this Florida, or I'm sorry, our number one third down defense in the country versus Florida's third down offense, which is 109th national and converting 33% of their third downs. And they were there converting them almost at will in, in, in the first drive. And it's like, okay, well, that's not good. But then we come back and we get them the third long again on their second drive. And that's where Jalen Walker, who's becoming a bigger, bigger factor for this team curse on third down. So it's where he comes up with a big force fumble that led to a Florida punt. And then, uh, then one minute and nine seconds of game time later, we take a 10-7 lead when Carson Beck and Lad McConkey. God, it was beautiful to see Lad McConkey out there, Curtis. I know he's been out there, but see like Lad McConkey out there. We saw them connect for a 41-yard touchdown. And at that point, Curtis, we never looked back. We took the lead. We never surrendered the lead. It was, I don't want to say the route was on yet, but like we, we know what's going to happen. It ends up being a route. But let's go back to Lad here, Curtis. That touchdown catch, I mean, it was quintessential lad, right? Catch the ball, make a move, and you're off to the races. You, you, a big play, touchdown, awesome to see. But let me ask you about lad. We know he's been back for a couple of games, right? But how important is it to have lad back? I don't want to say fully healthy because they were talking about – I was watching the replay on the way home today, and they are talking about how he like he's realized, like, I just can't sit down during games. That's when my back starts to tighten up on me, so he has to stay loose. But as close to healthy as we've seen him at any point this year to where he can at least play – as many snaps as we need him to play. How important is it to have Lad back like that? Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, especially third down, Lad, is just, he's just a difference maker. And I think having him allows us to stretch the field even more, especially with Brock down. You're right. Difference maker is the right word, Curtis. I mean, he's a playmaker for us. I mean, that that play that the first, that touchdown, Curtis, I mean, I don't want to say it was a simple catch, but it was a really nice route. And that's one thing about Lad. Like, he, he does not round his routes off. He's a very crisp route runner. And he he puts a, he creates a great target for Carson Beck over the last year's test and bit him. And he also I mean he creates separation. Like Lad is a really good athlete. I wouldn't say Lad is like an elite elite athlete, but he's such an effective receiver because he creates separation with his ability to run routes. He's got really good hips. He knows how to sit down in his routes and break out of them. And then he has that ability after the catch. He just kind of has that knack to make something happen after the catch. And we saw that. And you're right, Curtis. With Brock Bowers out, Brock has been all year. He's been our catch and run guy. And we've been trying to find ways to get Brock the ball in space so that he can go out and do what Brock Bowers does. And that was like, you know, we have guys I know that can catch the football. I, I don't have any. I didn't have any concerns about that coming to the game. My concern was, okay, when we need a big play, we want to try to get somebody the ball in space. Who is that kind of going to be? I thought it could be Don McLovin. I was hoping to be Lad, but we did, we just don't know what version of Lad we're going to get. But you're right, Curtis. Lad. Being that version of himself, the version that we have come to know and love for so many years now, that is a huge, huge shot in the arm for this offense. Because without Brock Bowers, we need that. We need somebody that can work across the middle of the field like Lad was doing and create big plays 
in space. Dominic Love did that for us a couple times. Ladd did it more than a couple times in this game. That's huge for us. And he's just such a security blanket. I know Carson and him haven't had that much time on the field, but he's just such a steady receiver. That's the thing about Ladd. I think that's what makes him special, Curtis. Like he has that possession receiver type ability, but he also has the explosiveness ability as well. He's kind of he's a best of both worlds. Like if you need a first down like you did against Auburn, he's your guy, right? You on the on the out route. You want explosive play in space, Ladd can be your guy too. And, and when he's healthy, that's what makes Ladd so dangerous. So, man, I think obviously getting him, even if Brock was still healthy, getting Ladd back is a game changer for this offense, but especially, as you mentioned, with Brock being out, an absolute game changer for this offense. Of course, I guess mentioning Brock Bowers, this is where we should, I guess, address the elephant in the room, as was extremely well documented in the lead up to this game, and we're guilty of that as much as anyone else. We know, we all know, Georgia had to play this game without star tight end Brock Bowers. There were questions galore, my man. And I don't know if you caught some of the, the predictions right before the game. I'm sure you did. But there were more than a few doubts about how the Bulldog offense would fare in Brock's absence, uh, in the absence of our all-world tight end. But, so what – obviously, we knew that the offense would change somewhat. It would look a little bit different. We'd feature different guys coming to the game. We just didn't know exactly what it would look like. We had ideas, but we didn't really know. You won't know until you actually see it. But now we've seen it on the field, Curtis. So what structural changes – did you see from Mike Bobo in this Georgia offense on Saturday against Florida? Well, you, I felt like once again we saw less 12 personnel, um, maybe in the passing attack. I mean, we did 12 personnel quite a bit just because we had a lot of success. Well, in the second the half we were trying to ice the lead. We, we exactly, were and we were and we were our offensive line. Everyone was doing a good job, but when we were being really aggressive, especially in the pass game, we were really doing a good job of spreading everything att- around. Yeah, and just I, spreading I, yeah. the teams around. Yeah, we were spreading the ball, man. And that was one thing I, I like we said last week, Curtis. I'm not going to sit here and ever tell anyone that a team's going to be better without Brock Bowers. That's just not the case. The guy, like, he's the greatest tight end in college football history. Uh, whatever. I mean, that's my opinion. People can argue. That's fine. Whatever. But even though you might not be better without Brock Bowers, you can be, you, you can pose some issues to teams because they're so used to, like, all the film they have is like, all right. This is what George does with Brock Bowers. Well, now Brock Bowers is out of the equation. We have all these different guys that we don't really feed the ball to all that much, but they can all be feature guys in their own way at different times. And now, like you said, we're spreading the ball out to all these different players and getting them all involved. And, I mean, I admit, I'm not going to say – again, I'm not going to say we can't be – we can be better without Brock Bowers. I'm not. But in some ways, can our offense be tougher to stop, Curtis, when you have all those different guys activated like that? It came – I mean, because Brock was doing two roles, either – um kind of to bring attention or to be the go-to guy the fact is now you really can't key on any one person yeah and I, I guess in some ways i'm arguing against myself saying on one hand you can't be better without brock bowers but on the other hand well maybe you can feature all these different guys and make it tougher for defenses to game plan against you because they don't know exactly who's gonna get the ball in different situations when you're distributing the ball to all these different guys they can all make plays so i don't know i was very encouraged by what i saw curse be honest with you. you go back to the 12 personnel the first half, like the only time I really saw us run 12 personnel was on the, it was inside the red zone goal line situations. Other than that, it was primarily 11 personnel. Um, I, it not screwed up was obviously the guy that was out there the first couple of drives, but I mean, I even texted you at one point. I was like, have you heard anything about Oscar being hurt? Cause Lawson lucky was getting some serious reps out there. I was like, I mean, I expected that, you know, when we were 12 personnel, obviously it would be 
Oscar and Lawson, but there were a couple of drives in a row out there where it was Lawson lucky and not Oscar Delp. I'm like, I'm like searching the sidelines for Oscar. I'm like, you see in the 10, like what's going on? No, he's standing right there by the coaches on the sideline. I guess we're just giving Lawson some run there. And it's good to see Lawson get some opportunities like that. But I didn't see a ton of 12 personnel in the first half. There's a lot of 11 personnel, which is kind of what I anticipated because Lawson is as talented as this guy is. He's going to be such a good player for us. He's still really young, you know, and, and thrown into a situation like that without having a ton of game reps. I mean, that, that's a tough spot to put a guy in if you don't have to and you have all these great receivers. I think our coaches seem to have felt the same way. But I do think that's one of the reasons that we saw Oscar or saw Lawson get a couple of series where he was he was the tight end because we know that we still want to do a lot of 12 personnel in the future, even if Brock's not going to be in there. And we want to get Lawson Lucky up to speed so that we can feel comfortable putting him in those big time game situations when the SEC division might actually be on the SEC East division might actually be on the line. So I think that was really encouraging too, is that, you know, we got that guy some reps. He looked good in, in, in the time that he was out there in the field. Hopefully that means that we'll, we will feel more comfortable using 12 personnel, not just in goal line situations here over the next couple of weeks until we get Brock back. But yeah, I didn't see a ton of 12 personnel. There was a lot of 13 – I'm sorry, a lot of 11 personnel out there. Like you said, we were spreading the ball around to a bunch of different guys. I don't – like would you say that we featured one specific guy? Like, did we feature that or is that just a matter of like he was open in certain situations? Just open in certain situations. I mean, we did a good job. Dom had some big plays. We targeted Ra Ra trying to get him the ball. I mean, and we even, you know, got it to Dylan Bell out of the backfield. So I don't think it felt like we truly targeted any one specific person more than another. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Alad obviously led the team. Six catches, 135 yards. By the way, Curtis, did you catch that that was only his second 100-yard receiving game of his career? I did not, and that's actually a little surprising. That's shocking to me. Like I'm, and I know I should know these things. Obviously, we're on Georgia podcast, but and and I know Lad's got a bunch of games where he's like right there, he's close to it. Obviously, we've had Brock Bowers, and Lad's made plays for us in different ways in the run game. You know, he does a lot of things for us. But I just, I guess I assumed along the way it was just more than one 100-yard game coming into this into this game, but it's not the case. So, second 100-yard game of his career. Uh, welcome back, Lad McConkie, by the way. But Lovett had four for 83, as you mentioned, 20.8 yards per at, per catch. And we saw a, a, a couple of explosive plays from Lovett, one in particular, where he turned the Jets on the sideline. Did you catch that one? Oh, yeah. He turned those Jets on. And it was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is the Dominic Lovett that I've been looking for, man. So I'm excited to see what he can do over the next couple of weeks. Then Oscar had two for 31, that great Brock Bowers-esque catch on that on that first drive. Uh, Dylan Bell, two for 21, a touchdown. Ra Ra, one for 19. CJ Smith. One for 15. Uh, Marcus had two catches and Dejan had one. So you're right. Like we're spreading the ball around. And here's the thing, Chris. We have a guy like Carson Beck who processes so well and just is in such command out there and knows what defenses are trying to do and has answers for everything the defense throws at him. I don't know if you have to feature a guy. Like maybe if it's like, okay, it's a third down and we need we need to we need a we need a play right here. Maybe you dial one up for a certain guy. But when you have a guy like Carson Beck who is so dialed in right now and just going through progressions and just processing everything at such a high level. He's going to find the open man. He knows where the answers are with whatever coverage defense is showing him, whatever they're trying to do to him, whatever pressure package they're bringing, and the guy is going to get the ball to whoever, whoever he needs to get the ball to. That's a beautiful thing. So we have – it's not just one guy that can make plays for us. Carson has all these guys at his disposal. He seems to trust all these guys, and he's going to go to the guy who he needs to go to in that given situation where the ball needs to go based on what the, the coverage is dictating and what the defense is trying to do to us. So, yeah, that, that was awesome to see, man. But after what you saw yesterday in Jax, Curtis – Let's just let's take a big picture look at the offense here. What is your level of confidence right now in this offense? Sands brought Bowers over the next couple of weeks. How confident are you heading into this? I don't want to say brutal stretch of games, but very critical stretch of games. I'm actually more confident. You know, this offense has continued to get better and better. And I think just seeing the way Carson, ha- the grasp he has of everything, 
my confidence is actually really high right now. Um, we're being, you know, very creative in both the run game and the pass game. It felt like we're doing a better job of not being as predictable and being more aggressive. And even with Brock Bowers out, we have, you know, this is kind of what I talked about when we um, did a recap and after the Vandy game, we were talking about, you know, what would it look like if Brock was out? And this is exactly what I thought. You know, we still have a lot of weapons that you can get the ball to, and we're still a very dangerous team. So my confidence is there right now. One to ten. Where's your confidence right now? I'm going to say eight, because right now, especially the teams we're going up against, none of them scare me defensively. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm I'm at eight, man. I think we have so many playmakers, dude. And again, I go back to what I was just saying about Carson Beck. When you have the quarterback that's playing at the level that Carson Beck is playing right now, it makes everything a lot easier. Yeah, Carson makes it – I mean, it it wasn't until Saturday that I really had appreciation of how quickly he is getting rid of the ball when he sees where he wants to go and how strong he gets it there. His numbers are better than Stetson's were through seven games through this point last year, Curtis. Well, and I'll say this: Crazy. Saturday was the Crazy. Saturday was the first time we moved the pocket with him, and he did well with it. He throws extra, exceptionally well in the run. I, mean, I wish that one to lad, the one to lad, he was going to the left on a different platform, still throws a strike. He throws extraordinarily. In fact, I think that might be his like one of his strengths. Like physically, he's throwing the ball on the run. He does it. He he has the upper body, lower body disassociation where he gets the the velocity on the ball. He puts it on the money. I mean, dude, he throws the ball. I think it's like the baseball player in him. You know, he's a big time baseball player back in high school, right? So I think he was. I remember correctly. I think he was an infielder. So. I think that kind of comes into play there. You'd be able to throw off platform like that. But, man, yeah, he, he throws the ball really well on the run. But when you have a guy like that, Chris, we all know the quarterback is the most important position in the field. That gives me a ton of confidence. And, look, I know how good Brock Bowers is. I love the guy to death, man. I mean, he's the best player in college football. But you can mitigate that to a, to a pretty large degree, as good as he is, when you have a quarterback playing like Carson Beck is playing right now, and we mentioned we just went through all the different guys he has to work with right now offensively. The run game is, is starting to get on track. Let's talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But I I think eight's the right number here, man. I think this offense is playing at a high level. I mean, when when Brock went down, we talked about it. Obviously, I said all the same all the same things I'm saying right now. But I also was making sure to be clear that I was not freaking out. I wasn't unconcerned because it's Brock Bowers. But we have weapons. I told you guys I was still felt good about our ability to be a an effective and explosive offense and I even more so feel that way now after having actually seen it. We have proof of concept now against a, not an elite Florida defense course, but that's a pretty good Florida defense. It's a solid Florida defense. And I, I thought all around in the first game without Brock Bowers, this offense performed at a very, very high level. And I f- fully expect that to be the case moving forward in these next couple games. You mentioned, Curtis, like we have some really tough teams. Missouri's a good football team, and they're capable of beating us. Ole Miss, capable of beating us. Tennessee, all of, very capable of beating us. But – with our offense playing like that, if that continues on moving forward, I feel really good about this stretch of games here down the, the next couple of weeks, Kurt. All right, guys, we got so much more to talk about. But before we go any further, I do want to remind everyone once again about our great friends at my bookie. Charlie and I are on a heater right now, guys, with our picks of the week, and we want to make sure you guys take advantage of all those picks. All you have to do is, number one, listen to the podcast to get all of our picks, but then after that, all you have to do is go to mybookie.ag. It'll take you about 60 seconds or so. Sign up for a brand new account and use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit for all new users. It does come with a playthrough, so if you want to avoid that and it's not something you're interested in, go ahead and use the other code. The other option is 200 cash and you get a 10% cash bonus completely 
free of any strings attached to a playthrough, straight to your account for you guys to do whatever you want with it once you bet that first deposit. So two great options for you guys. My bookie is a trustworthy sports book that provides quick payouts, great customer service. They have a ton of deposit options, and they have a ton of new features this year too, guys. They got a cash out early option that helps with parlays. They have a ton of live in-game betting options for you guys, cash pools, They have a great casino if you're into that. They have so many options for all types of bettors out there. So do yourself a solid and sign up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, back to the rundown, Curtis. So we scored to go up 10-7 and Florida wants to answer, right? We got to talk about this. They hit a pass to Cleo Jackson for what was originally ruled a first down. Now, I am in the stands. I'm five miles away, okay? I'm up there in the 400 level, and uh, I'm screaming the stands. I saw it, man. The referees might not saw it. I saw it from 500 miles away. I'm screaming the stands. He's short. He did not get the first down. I'm, I'm apoplectic. They gave me the first down. I can say the game's still tight here, right, at that point. So I'm freaking out. I'm upset. But after the review, so that, that was the last play of the, fir- of the first quarter. So at, during the, the break there, TV timeout, they review it. And the refs come out, out of the TV timeout, and say they reversed the call. He's a yard short. I'm like, yes, of course he was yard short. And then comes what I believe, Curse had to be the true turning point in the game. Nice guy, Billy Napier. What a nice guy. Decides to go for it. Down 10-7. First play of the second quarter from his own 34-yard line. We all know what happens next, Curtis. They snap the ball between Graham Mertz's legs. Beautiful little cute play, little cute play, yeah. To Travis or to Trevor Etienne, they try to run back pass. Smile Munnan sniffs it out. Great play, great discipline by Smile there. And we get the ball on the Florida 31, and it takes us only three plays to cash that in for a touchdown and take the 17-7 lead. Curtis, I have to ask you here, man. Obviously, it, I, I don't think you can argue – that this was a good call. It was a terrible call. But what did you make of that decision to go for in that situation by nice guy Billy Napier? I get going for it. I think the play call was what killed. Do me. you really uh, get going for it there? Because I don't um, think I, I, mean, I don't. I don't. The thing is, Florida in this in the, to win that game. I'm going to be honest. They had to do take chances like that. 
Those right. are going to be if the ball is close to the 50 yard line. I mean, if you're to me, if it's setting up a, a potential score or you're going to get maybe now we have a chance to get a field goal range to tie this game. Sure. But you're 34. Well, I, I, I think honestly, one thing, though, to be honest, too, is I think he doubted his defense could stop us, that it started becoming a possessions Could game. Could be. Yeah, I definitely have a, a, an issue with the with the. With the play call, for sure, like you said, I have an issue with him going. I mean, this is this is a maybe this is a me thing, Curtis. But I have it is. Fr- I mean, look, I don't. Other than the, my betting interest, I just care about Georgia and what's good for Georgia. But as a fan of college football, forever, Curtis, you know, college football coaches they err on the side of being concerned when it came to fourth down calls, right? And yeah. they would never go for a fourth down. You have the rare guy here and there that would do that. But now with the analytics, now everybody's going for it on every freaking fourth down there is. And I think the pendulum has swung way too far the other side. Like there's a happy medium. Yes, I think coaches should be more more aggressive on fourth downs than they were, you know, my entire lifetime. I've always felt that way. But now I feel like they've gone over the top with this analytics. I'm gonna use another example, Curtis. The, the Tennessee Kentucky game last night. I know you had a Halloween party. I don't know if you caught that game, but Curtis, Kentucky. I'm not saying this is the reason they lost the game. This is just one example. There's another. Who was it I was watching? Maybe it was. I don't know. Was it? Kansas, I think it was Kansas, Oklahoma. Kansas didn't win the game, but they went for it on four on a fourth down and could could have kicked the field goal and they didn't didn't get it. But it, it didn't cost them, but it cost Kentucky. They had a shot for a field goal early in the first half of the game. They went for it and did not get it. Later in the game, that field goal, not not taking that field goal, maybe they wouldn't have made the field goal, but not trying to take those points came back to hurt them. They easily could have beaten Tennessee if it was not for that decision. Well, it's the same thing that cost Oregon the game against Washington. Exactly, 100%. Da- I mean, look, I know Dan Lanning wants to say, we're an aggressive football team, I'm, I'm going to call plays aggressively. Dan Lanning, you cost your team that game. Okay, you. Ca- I don't care what people want to say. You can say, well, I like an aggressive play call. That's fine. Those were some – I just – and I like Dan Lanning. I love Dan Lanning. I think those were I, – I don't want to call a guy dumb. It's not – I just think those were horrific decisions. In that, in the context of that game, Curtis, because if, if he doesn't make one of like one of those calls, if he decides not to make it, they win the game. So that's what I'm saying is I think the pendulum has swung way, way too far to the other side here in terms of being aggressive, and teams are going overboard with this stuff, and they're costing themselves football games. Now we probably would have beaten, almost certainly would have been Florida regardless, but after that play, Curtis, it was over. Like we had all the momentum in a, in a neutral side game where it's all built on momentum. They have a 10-point lead. We have more talent. We're a better football team anyway. So they had they lost any chance they had. I, mean, I know you're saying like they got to take chances and take risks. They are they are the underdog in that game. They're the, the lesser talented team. But I, I don't know if that was the time in the game to take that risk. If it's in the second half and you're like you think okay we're gonna try to put the pressure on Georgia here. We're trying to you know we, we got to come back. We're down by three here. Fine. But the first play, the second quarter, I don't think that's the time or the place to do that. Now maybe I'm being the old man conservative guy here. Maybe, but. I didn't love the call. I didn't love the call. But what did you? So you didn't like the actual play call. What would you have called there? I mean, it was literally inches. I think at that point you just try to get it going forward. I, the pass play is what got me. Yeah, tush push, right? Yeah. I mean, like this is not the old George defensive line. There's there's no Jordan Davis sitting there in the middle of that defense. So I mean, you tush push that all day long. He just got too cute, man. Uh, but here's what I'll say too about this. I'm gonna dig deeper into this, Curtis. Okay. Maybe this is me making way too much out of one call. But when I think about that decision there, right, I think that's in a microcosm, that is the difference between these two programs right now. Obviously, there is a talent gap between the two schools. We understand that right now. He's doing a good job recruiting, but right now there is still very much a clear talent gap between Georgia and Florida. That's clear. But I think it's more than just that, Curtis. I think 
we have I, – I, I said that earlier, a championship medal. We have this championship culture, Curtis. It's not just about talent. There's a lot of talented teams out there. Like USC, talented team. They don't have a championship culture, man. Culture matters, and we have a championship culture, and we have a championship coach. And when we get in situations, we get in high-profile games, when the pressure is on, and maybe the tightest run gets us a little bit. You know, like in the first that first drive, we're down 7-0, down 14-3 of the half against uh, – against South Carolina, down against Auburn on the road, Curtis. We stay calm. We stay poised. We believe, right? Composure is what Kirby Smart always says, right? It's one of our pillars of our program. Composure. We have that. Our program is built on that. And so when we get in these situations, we know how to respond. We respond the right way. We're built the right way. Florida's not there, man. They don't have that culture. They panicked. Not just the team. Billy Napier, in my, in my opinion, Curtis, panicked there. He did not need to make that call. Not that moment of the game. He did not need to make that call. I don't think Kirby Smart makes that call. Like, think about that, Kirby. If the roles are reversed there and we're down 10-7, we had the ball fourth and inches from our 34-yard line. Does Kirby Smart go for it? Probably not, no. I don't think so. And I, you're right. I mean, they had, they're had the underdogs. they got to take some more risks. That's fair. But I think Billy kind of panicked early in the game. I think that shows his inexperience as a head coach in games like this. And their, their team, again, just – Coach, players, the culture of Florida is not where our culture is. Maybe we'll get there. I don't know. But beyond just the town, that's a big part of why we were dominating Florida right now. Three straight victories over uh, against the Gators by more than 20 points. But the championship culture, Curtis, I think that's a big part of it too. So that was a huge turning point in the game, Curtis. But then on the very next drive, we have a Tyrion Ingram Dawkins sighting, my man, as TID comes up with a strip sack that is recovered by Marvin Jones Jr. who got even more reps this game, Curtis. Love to see Marvin getting out there more. So he recovers it at the Florida 11, which we promptly punch in for yet another touchdown, 24-7 dogs. Curtis, quickly here, I want to talk about Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. You texted me after the game and said, quote, if TID stays healthy, he changes our defense. So I'm going to ask you to expound on that for our listeners. Well, because I think one thing that's really been hurting us is, you know, we're talking about on the edge, especially in the run game outside of Michael Williams. We really haven't been getting much out there, and even we haven't even been getting much from Michael in the pass rush also. And I think Tyrion Ingram Dawkins brings that versatility where he has the body and the, I believe the ability to hold up in the run game, especially on the edge, but also bring us speed on the passing game, which you saw on Saturday. And this is someone who really isn't up to game speed yet. Yeah, I think TID coming back. I mean, he, he's missed basically the entire year. You know, he missed six games. And, you know, I, I, know, I, didn't, I didn't think he was going to play in this game. You know, I, I've been asking some questions about him behind the scenes. People are like, yeah, maybe he's, he's doing a little bit more. But after the game, you know, what to hear Kirby say, essentially the decision was made during the bye week. Like, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring this guy back. We shut him down for six weeks. That's what Kirby said. And it sounded like it was it was Tyrion who came to him and was like, look, coach, because it's a foot injury, guys. And they're afraid it's going to become like a Liz Frank thing. They don't want to become a bigger issue than it has been. So it's kind of why we shut him down. But he came to the coach and was like, look, either, either the foot's going to give or it's not. Like, I, I got to play, coach. I got to play. And so we we um, worked him back in over the bye week, and he came out and he played against Ford. And he played really well, Curtis. Obviously, that strip sack was huge. That wasn't the only thing he did. He did some really good things for us. But you're right, Curtis. What he does, I agree with you. I totally agree that he's a game changer for our defense because he's another guy on the defensive line for us. Let's not forget how how much of how highly of a rated recruiter is. Remember how big of a recruit this guy was? Yeah, he was a, a five-star, I believe. Yeah, people forget. People forget. This guy is a big-time player, and you know we we had some big-time guys on our defensive line. They kind of had to sit behind, and it's it's been a, it hasn't been immediate gratification for him. But that doesn't change the fact that this guy is an extraordinarily extraordinarily talented player that can absolutely change the equation for our defense. Because as you said, he is a guy that can give us 
both things that we need on the defensive line there. He can give us pass rush, and he can give us the ability to stop the run and set the edge there. Michael can do that. Michael does a good job of that. When Tremel Walthour comes in, Tremel is a really good run defender. He essentially gives us nothing as a as a pass rusher. He just does. That's not his skill. So he's a great, he's a really good run defender. He plays really, really hard. He's a good piece on our team. But Tierningham Dawkins, Curtis, that for a team that struggles, as we often talk about on this show, Curtis, to get natural pass rush, especially from that position, that is a guy that can change that equation for us. He can do those things that other guys on our team can. I mean, him and Michael. So if you have that one-two punch there, that gives us more versatility. It gives us ability when we when we want to rotate guys and give Michael a breather. you got Tyrion or Dawkins coming in there. That changes what this defense can do because we know we're still a good run-stopping defense. That's what we do best. We're number one in the SEC coming into this game against the run. Not as dominant as we have been, but still really, really good. But you have a guy like that that can that you can put in there and can rush the passer but won't kill you against the run. That's huge, Curtis. Like, like Jalen Walker, for example, is probably the best pass rusher on the team right now in terms of like a pure pass rusher. But he can't play – and people want him to play on the edge at, at Jack, but he's, he's not big enough, right? He just can't. He, he would get killed against the run. He's an inside linebacker, so at least right now with where his body is. But with Tyrion, you can have a guy in there that can give you some pass rush, some solid, very good pass rush, but also – the thing is to run there and be strong structurally against the run. So I think that's, you're right. I, mean, I, I when you text me that, I was like, dude, I a thousand percent agree with that. So I think that's a big time. I mean, we, obviously getting lad back offensively is a game changer for us. I think getting TID back could very well be a game changer for us on the defensive side of the ball. Um, all right, Chris, let's move on here. Um, all right. So yeah, well after that, so we score there and then we come up with the block punt on the next drive and the route is officially on. If it wasn't already, I do want to get to the run game here from Curtis. We've already kind of talked about Carson Beck and how well he's playing right now. Huge homecoming game for him. Uh, but for the running game, Curtis, 28 rushes, 151 combined yards, three combined touchdowns for Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton. How do you, Curtis, feel about where this Georgia run game is right now heading into this final stretch of games that are going to decide who wins the SEC Eastern Division? Um, I'm feeling a lot more confident in our run game. Also, I think the offensive line is starting to gel a little bit better. I think we're doing better with our blocking scheme. Um, and then you're just seeing better more. And this is even without Dylan Bell getting as many carries. We're still having a pretty explosive moving the chains running attack. You know, I really want to give Carson some credit, too, on that one where he kind of does kind of changes the plays, the line of scrimmage, and then we hit him for that long touchdown run from Dejan. I, yeah. I'm feeling like we're seeing the field a lot better in the run game. Yeah, man. I think the run game is – it's starting to hit its stride, and I I know guys. At first, well, maybe it was maybe two weeks of the season, I was I was freaking out, man. I was old Tyler. I was freaking out. It's like, oh my god, this run game is a disaster. If we can't run the football, they, what is our offense going to do? That's how our offense has always been built. Like, what what's going to happen here? But getting Dejon Edwards back has been, uh, I mean, it's just been a revelation, Chris. I feel like we talk about it, we say the same things about him every single week, but just can't say it enough. This guy is he's unbelievable, man. Like he has no like you look at the guy, and he has no business being as good as he is, but he is so good. He is just a football player he has the feel he understands football he understands leverage he he's got incredible vision incredible balance he's got he's fashion people want to give him credit for that that first touchdown run around the edge man he shows a little something i didn't know he had that kind of that kind of burst there he's a tough physical guy like, he's he's just a georgia guy curtis like that he's the kind of guy that our culture is built on i just love him man i absolutely love the guy and Kendall come back healthy i could not be happy for Kendall milton man this guy has just struggled so much with injuries throughout his career. And I mean, a lesser man, Curtis would just like put his head down and just given up, but not Kendall, man. I got to give this guy credit. I mean, I, I would probably would have given up and well, what he's dealt with and 
the criticism from outside, yeah, that's that's tough, man, for a young guy to deal with. They didn't come back and have the kind of success and run as well as he's been running the past couple weeks. And we said coming into this week, Curse, if we, what we saw from Kittle against Vanderbilt and even against Kentucky, if we get that guy matched with how Dejan Edwards is playing right now, that is a really good one-two punch. Now, it's not you know Branson Robinson, but that's a really strong one-two punch. I agree with you. I think the offensive line – it's starting to show why people were talking about being a, a Joe Moore, a potential, a potential Joe Moore award winner coming to the season. It didn't play like that for the first, I don't know, third or so of the season, but we're getting to that point. I think some of the young guys, obviously Ernest Green, Dylan Fairchild, Micah Morris getting more comfortable out there on the field. Xavier Trust had to play right tackle, getting more comfortable there. And that's all without Amarius Mims, who hopefully will be back maybe next week. I mean, there, he was practicing. I know I was told he was practicing a lot this week behind the scenes, but it looks like we just decided to go uh, give him one more week and, and go with Truss out there since he felt good coming off his ankle injury. But yeah, Chris, I feel good about the run game right now, man. And you, you mentioned Carson Beck. I feel confident with him getting us in the right play. One other thing I want to mention about the run game here too, Curtis, going back to the offensive structure without Brock Bowers, I have been calling pretty much all season for us to run the football out of more spread sets and use less 12 personnel. If you want to use 12 personnel, just don't have the condensed sets where we have like a tight end, inline tight end, and H back there because you're bringing all those defensive bodies into the box, and it just creates so much traffic. And you have – instead of having five offensive linemen need to make a block, you have seven guys to make a block, and that, that reduces your chances of actually having a successful run play, in my opinion, because now – I mean, it's hard to have seven guys make a block than it is five guys make a block. So when we, when we spread out earlier in the year – we were having a lot of success running the football from those looks. I'm like, why are we not doing more of this? Basically, when Dylan Bell comes in the game and runs the football, that's what we run the ball out of. And I think now with Brock being out, clearly, at least against Florida, maybe it was a game plan thing. I think it was more like, hey, Brock is out. We're not going to run as much 12 personnel. We were running the ball out of more spread looks. We have, we had maybe an inline tight end on some of those plays, sure. But we also had plenty of plays where we run the football, football where there were five offensive linemen in there. And what that does is it gives our backs more space to operate. And a guy like Dejon Edwards, who is our feature back clearly right now, that guy is a monster in space. Get him in space. He will make you miss. Give the guy space. And I think that we're starting to kind of figure that out offensively. Maybe maybe it was by default with, with Brock going out. I don't care when, where, and, high, and how we figured it out. It looks like Mike Bobo's trying to figure out, okay, maybe we need to start running the ball from some of these looks a little bit more because we're having a lot of success doing that. And I think that bodes well also for the run game moving into these next three or four games here down the stretch. Okay, guys, we still have an entire side of the ball to talk about. We still have game balls to hand out. But before we go any further, let me remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I don't know if you have checked the weather report for next weekend when the dogs are back in town here in the Classic City to take on Missouri, but it's going to be a little chilly. And if you haven't already picked up your newest Georgia cold weather gear to make sure you are covered there inside Sanford Stadium, there's still plenty of time. You can stop in in-store inside the Epps British Shopping Center on your way into town next week and pick up some stuff for the game. They will be open bright and early for all you shoppers at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. But if you can't make it to Athens and you still want to get some new cold weather gear, because I know it's getting chilly all around Georgia, all around the southeast. Now it's that time of year. It's beautiful fall, baby. Love it. But you can go to alumnihall.com and get all the same great Georgia gear that you find in-store so make sure, take care of yourself, guys. You don't be cold out there. Take care of yourself and do your shopping at Alumni Hall because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, Curtis, let's move over. Let's talk about the defense here for a couple of minutes. So Florida, I know the final numbers, I think they had a little over, was it 340, 330? I think it's 339. Yeah, 339 total yards in this game. You're like, oh, well, that's not a great defense performance. It's fine. It's not elite. But Curtis... I think it's a little misleading if you're just doing the stat watching there. Because if you watch the game, I mean, Florida had 150 yards, Curtis, on uh, the last two drives. The last two drives, they had two 75-yard drives after being down 36-7. I'm not going to say we gave up. The, the last drive was with all of our backups, and we were just, like, emptying the bench out there. But prior to those last two drives of the game, Curtis, they had 189 total yards prior to that. So basically through three and a half quarters, they had 189 total yards. Obviously, their first drive, they it was really well scripted, uh, really well called there by Billy Napier. So that was not a great performance on that first drive. But after that point, Curtis, they basically could not do anything offensively to those final two drives. And it was well out of hand. And the argument's really turned it on after that point. So I'm going to ask you two questions about the defense. Number one, let me ask you this. What was the most encouraging thing to you about our defensive effort on Saturday against Florida? The eye discipline was so much better. Um, yeah. Florida tried quite a few misdirections, trick plays, things of that sort. And I thought we, I mean, you can go back to that fourth down play we were talking about earlier where they go between the legs. Pop, and I think it was Tyke, took both of the guys out of the backfield and shut that down. Didn't even give him a chance to get rid of the ball while Smile was in his face. I think just seeing things like that where guys, Outside of that first drive, I felt like everyone did a much better job playing their assignments, which we haven't consistently had this year. I totally agree, Curtis. I totally agree. And Florida's a team, you know, coming to the league, we are talking about on the preview show, like they do a lot of motion. They, they do a lot of misdirection. They try to get your eyes in the wrong spot. They want to make you wrong, make you communicate. And they were trying to do that. And I, you're exactly, I saw the exact same thing, Curtis. I'm glad you said that. There's one, even a guy like Marvin Jones Jr., Curtis, who doesn't play a lot, he had a, a tackle for loss. Uh, I was going to say in the first half where – he was just like the play was going away from him, and they run. I think it was Pearsall. They run back around on the on the end on the reverse, and he's right there to make the play for a tackle for loss. And it's like, yes, yes, do not chase. And that's a young guy who hasn't played a lot of football being well coached. And credit to him, credit to him for doing what he was coached to do. But also credit to our coaches for having these guys prepared. And that has been an issue for us, Curtis, early in the season, especially against Auburn. The eye discipline was a problem. I will still maintain nobody this season has lined up and run the football down our throat. I'm not saying no one can. But no one's done it yet. When we've had issues against the run, it's eye discipline. It's just it's just lack of 
attention to detail, lack of fundamentals, and we had clearly cleaned that stuff up during the bye week, and that was that was really encouraging to see because I mean teams are they're obviously look at what Auburn did to us and try to emulate some. Of that. I mean I'm sure Ole Miss in a couple of weeks will try to emulate that because that's probably the closest thing their offense in terms of how it structures probably the closest thing to what to what Auburn did to us at least in terms of their ability to do that with a, with a mobile quarterback. And Brady Cook from Missouri, we'll talk about that later this week. He can run too. They'll, they'll run that guy. He's a mobile guy. He's, he's a good athlete. So to see that the discipline there, the getting back to fundamentals and just doing what we know how to do and playing Georgia defense, that was really encouraging for me. For me, Curtis, though, I, I love that call. I got to say our ability to pressure the quarterback, man. What would you make of that? Oh, it was it was a sight for sore eyes. I mean, we were, finally, we were coming with blitzes on early down. I think it was just that we weren't predictable also with our blitzes which was so nice we do a great job i mean i, I will give i mean go back to dan landing but also glenn schumann now kirby smart's obviously intimately involved in all this the way when we, like, when we bring pressure even when we're only bringing four guys the way that we scheme it up and make it really hard for the offense to know where our guys are coming from it makes it really tough to defend us um or it makes it really tough to to block us when we're trying to come after the quarterback because we just we make it hard on you we're not super predictable there but here's the stat that i threw out last week curtis I don't know if you're on for that for this episode, but through the I know we've made a lot, Curtis, about how we've had issues rushing the passer this year. Twelve sacks through the first seven games. Well, Curtis, last year we had seven sacks through the first seven games. We ended up with 35 on the year. So that means we had 28 sacks over the final eight games of the year last year, Curtis. And I was hopeful. I said it last week. I was like, man, I hope that we see a repeat of that, something like that this year. And I felt like this game against Florida might be the game to get the pass rush back on track because this is a team that's given up 19 sacks coming the year. The South Carolina offensive line is very bad. The Florida offensive line is not much better. A little bit better, not much better. So I thought this is a game where our pass rush can get healthy and we get some confidence heading into the, the rest of the season. And we saw that, Curtis. I mean, we had four sacks and untold amounts of pressure in that game, multiple tackles, I think eight tackles for loss. We were creating havoc, Curtis, and we haven't really seen that from this Georgia defense at, at really any point this season, maybe a, a, a drive here or there, but nothing consistent against Florida curse consistently. This after that, that first drive, we were consistently either sacking the quarterback. We were pressuring the quarterback. We were creating negative plays in the run game. We were creating havoc. And that's what we've always wanted to see more from this Georgia defense. We don't get it on a consistent basis, but we saw it against Florida. Now the question becomes curse. I'm going to put it to you. How confident are you that that momentum carries over over the course of these next four games? I am more confident. I think like it's seeing some of these the younger players get the come in and make the impact that makes me feel that way. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think Jalen Walker, Curtis, he's, he's got to be the. I mean, well, my opinion, he's the best pass rusher on the team, right? Jalen Walker, and I, I got to say, one person I think that's really coming on is Damon Wilson. I mean, he was absolutely. bull rushing. He's got people, opportunities, and, absolutely. And, I mean, I think those two guys right there, if you can get them more and more reps in passing situations, those are the guys that are going to make things happen. Yeah, I mean, according to Pro Football Focus, and like I always say with PFF, like take it for what it's worth, but he's the highest, one of the two highest greatest pass rushers on the team. He just hasn't hang out, hadn't got a lot of reps. And I think our coach is like, this guy works hard. He, he gives us someone he's out there. He's protective when he's out there. Just find a way to get him on the field. It's hard because we have so much talent. But when he's got an opportunity, curse, the guy produces. I mean, Jalen Walker off the edge of curse on third downs, his elite – athleticism his speed his ability to bend i mean that the sack he got on the on the strip sack like the tackle damian george transfer from alabama i told you last week is terrible and would have no chance if we really try to target him uh, with our pass rush could, literally could not get a hand on him 
He just ran right by him, bent under him, and was like, boom, sack, let's go. Jalen Walker is a terror off the edge. I just wish we could find a way to get him on the field more than just these third down situations because that guy is a game-changing pass rusher for us. He just happens to be an inside linebacker. But I think he's our best pass rusher. I think Mike Kell's a really good pass rusher. But, I mean, Jalen, athleticism, man, Ben, dude, that is some freaky, freaky stuff. And then you throw in, we mentioned him earlier, Tyrion Dawkins, throw him into the equation. I think Pop Curtis, for all his faults, is a really good pass rusher. He's become a really good pass rusher. Uh, he's a really oh, he good did, yeah, because he did some good things Saturday. Got a sack and was still getting some pressure too. So I mean, he, I mean, yeah. That first drive, I was a little annoyed. I felt like he didn't do great, but outside the first drive, that man, he really played a good second half or rest of the game. Yeah, my uh, little spoiler alert, might, might might be a little game ball in his future today. Just putting that out there. But he's a great pass rusher, man. Like that's what he does best. Like that's what he does. Uh, yes, he's he's good between the tackles, but I think he's become a really really good pass rusher. In fact, I think he might be a better pass rusher than Smile is, to be honest with you. I think he's he's aggressive. He fights through blocks, and he's he's done a really good job rushing the passer. So you put all that together. I mean, guys like Christian Miller, Warren Brinson from the interior, they can even if they don't get the actual sack, they can they can push the pocket from the interior. So I think we have a lot of guys that are capable of it. I I really believe it's schematic. It's what are we allowing these guys to do on standard downs. That's what it is. Like on third downs, I feel really good about what we can do to get after the quarterback. And that's what we want to do. That's why we're number one in the country on third in our third down defense. But it's just those standard downs, first and second down. Like, are we going to continue to kind of keep those guys on the leash? Or are we going to turn them loose a little bit? I don't know. But it was certainly very encouraging to see us turn the pressure on that way because we have not seen that at all this year. Just had, I mean, 12 sacks through the first seven games. So really encouraging there for me. But on the flip side, Curtis, got to ask you this. What was the most concerning thing you saw about our defensive effort? Um, especially with Dalen Everett, the struggle he was having with the slants. You got the same one I've got on my on my notes here, man. Um, in the slants, yes. I'm not giving up on Dalen Everett. He's a young player, and he's a good athlete. He's really good at run support. I still question uh, – it's not instincts. He's doing my I questioning his, ball. his quick twitch. It's the twitch and the hips. Yeah. Because Eugene Wilson was just getting off the ball and was quicker than him. And he, he, was, yeah, he, 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 he was a split second slow to respond to it. Yeah. He saw I mean, it. He just couldn't respond physically to it. Not fast enough. And so that to me, and, and Humphrey got some more play. He, he basically didn't play much, much at all really in, in real time against Vanderbilt and not much against Kentucky. But he played more against Florida. I still think Humphrey's a better cover guy. I really do, man. I, he's a better cover I agree. Guy. I think I have to agree with you on that. But we just put such an emphasis. I mean, you like the way teams run offense, you know, then nowadays, especially with RPO game and screen game, you got to have somebody that's physical and can tackle on the perimeter, and that's where Dalen has the edge on Humphrey right now. I mean, I, I truly believe. I know we haven't seen as much as hum, of Humphrey. I think Humphrey's are he's the better cover guy. I do. So I I don't know what to do with that because you put them both together and you have one hell of a cornerback. But they each have their strengths, and the, neither one I don't know if either one is the total package. It just comes down to. What does Kirby Smart and English mean? What do they put more of a premium on? And right now, it clearly seems to be the, the physicality on the edge there. And, and look, you know, Dalen, we, we've talked about this guy the past couple weeks, giving him a lot of praise. He's gotten better. He has gotten better. I'm not saying he's a train wreck. I just, I still think that cornerback spot opposite Kamari is unsettled. That's what I have in my notes. I would call it unsettled. Yeah, I think and that's very fair. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to even put it. Yeah, and, and it, Florida. I don't know if they were super well equipped to um, exploit that. I mean, Graham Mertz coming into this game was playing lights out last two weeks. Now, competition, Vanderbilt in South Carolina, you know, is what it is. But the guy was playing at a really high level. He's playing, he's playing so much better than I thought he would this year. I mean, I gotta give, gotta give the guy credit. But Missouri's passing curse a little bit of a different animal, right? It is, yeah. 
yeah, it's a little bit of a different animal. So I'm I'm not unconcerned about Missouri sitting there on a bye week watching this game, watching our previous game, and saying, huh, this cornerback spot, we're not we don't want to attack Kamari last year. That guy, that guy's probably a potential first round draft pick. But this other spot, hmm, maybe we can maybe we can get some explosive plays out of that. So I'm I am at least slightly concerned, probably a little bit more than slightly concerned there. I think that spot's unsettled. I think we have good players there. It's just again, I I think both guys have certain strengths and they have certain weaknesses. And I wish we could just merge the two. And I don't know right now what I, I don't know. What way would you link, Curse? Do you do you put more of a premium on what seems what Kirby and, and Glenn are doing in, in the in the physicality in the run game there and the screen game on the on the edge? Or would you put more of a premium on actual coverage? I put on actual coverage, especially with who we're about to be playing. I think that's the biggest reason I say that. I think I would too, man. Well, it's it's weird. Missouri, yes. Now, Ole Miss wants to run the football at you, man. And they, they do a bunch of screen stuff. A yeah, bunch Ole Miss, of I see game. more every. And maybe Tennessee, yeah. too. but I, I Tennessee, too, yeah. Missouri, I believe it needs to be Julio. Uh, I, I think that – yeah, I agree. Um, I don't, do you think it will be, though? Um, maybe throughout the game, but I don't think he'll start. I mean, I think he'll get some reps and maybe a drive here or there. I don't, I, I'm, I, yeah, I don't think he's going to start. I think that Tyke Smith's going to be okay, right? Everything I've heard seems like it's not a major thing, but let's just play the what if game here, Curtis. What if Tyke Smith is not able to go against Missouri? How much does um, that hurt us? I, I will, be, I'm going to be honest. I'll be nervous about that because we, I mean, we talked about this last week when we talked about the fact that Luther Burden plays a lot out of the slot. He plays almost exclusively out of the slot. So, yeah, that would make me nervous, especially with um, as good as I think Joel's going to be. It makes me nervous. Uh, yeah. So Luther Burden is second in the conference right now in receiving yards per game, 113 receiving yards a game curse, almost exclusively out of the slot. That's a big change from this year. He played out wide because Dominic Love was playing the slot for them last year. And Eli Drinkwitz offense. I know he's not technically calling plays, but he kind of still kind of plays a little bit this year. He's still very, very much involved in the offense like Kirby Smart is involved in our defense. And they moved Luther Burden inside to the slot, which is a much more natural position for him. And the guy has been a freaking monster. He's been dynamic, dude. 61 catches. That leads the SEC. Second in, in yards per game, 113 yards per game. And Tyke has played much better against the pass this year than I thought that he would. So I'm going to give him a lot of credit. And I love Janelle Aguero long term. But if Janelle Aguero is matched up with Luther Burden, Curtis, in that game, uh, uh-oh. Right? I mean – True freshman who has played very little, basically no meaningful football against maybe the best receiver in the SEC. Woo, okay. Um, that's that's frightening. That's frightening. I, again, I think Tyke's going to be okay. From everything I've heard, he'll be okay. But that's just old Tyler saying, oh, my God, please don't let that be the case because that's kind of freaky, man. That's Just want to put that out there. Just put that out there. Obviously, we'll talk more about that as this week goes on. All right, Curtis, it's time, my man, to move into our final segment. We've got some game balls to hand out. Who are you going with first? I'm going with Carson Beck first. All right, so homecoming for Carson Beck. What did, like, we talked about him a little bit, but what did you make of his performance in that homecoming? Pretty solid. I, still, I mean, we, we still need him to get a little bit more consistent with his touch on the deep ball. But outside that, I mean, very, very, very strong performance. That's the one thing, man. And I, I don't want to call it a weakness, and because we don't take, we haven't taken a ton of vertical shots like that. But when we have, there's and he's had a couple of them, but there have been a number of them now where he just he's just slightly out of reach, right? Just barely, just barely. But he's, I think it's coming, man. It's coming, it's coming. Because that guy, you talk about the intermediate part of the field, Curtis. Like he is lethally accurate. I mean, just 
dead accurate. I mean, just carving people up, just understanding where to go with the football. I mean, really, I, the only criticism I would have for him is like, we got to hit some of those deep balls. Like some of those balls against better teams, we're going to have to hit. And we haven't hit them consistently right now. And you're never going to hit them, hit all of them. That never happens. But you, we need to hit more of those. Most shots are there for sure. But Carson's playing fantastic, man. So my dad, I, I think I mentioned my dad a couple of weeks ago. My, he's, you know, um, love him to death. But he's, uh, I, I mentioned old Tyler used to worry. I think that's probably where it comes from. He makes and, Munson look optimistic. Yes, he really does. I mean, you know, I mean, he's just, it's, it's crazy. So I was talking to him on Thursday night, you know, talking about the game before he headed down to Jacksonville. And, you know, my dad, again, again, love him dearly. On Thursday night, he was concerned. Let's just say that. He was concerned. He was he was talking about how he was just worried sick about Carson not being able to handle the pressure in his hometown, the homecoming. And I'm like, Dad, like one thing about Carson Beck, and some people don't like this about him, the dude is as calm, cool, and collected as you can possibly that position. In fact, sometimes it seems like the dude's not even alive. It's like, dude, is your heart even beating? And sometimes you want to show a little bit more fire. But in a situation like this, that's what you want out of your quarterback. So I had zero concerns. Of course, my father, you know, love him, was just freaking out. But I thought he did a great job of blocking out all the the stuff on the periphery out there, all the storylines, and just play football, man. The guy is playing at a high level, dude. I mean, if Jaden Daniels is not playing the SEC, I would say he's the best quarterback in the SEC. Is that crazy? No, it's not. I think yeah, it's I mean, fair. I I, I got to get Jaden Daniels right now. The edge. The guy is playing just bananas football. Run game, throw game, all that. But Carson's right there, man. Carson is not far behind. Again, like through eight games, his numbers are better than what Stetson's were last year. And Stetson got an invite to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So there's that. So, yeah, great call. Great call. He was number one on my list. But since you took him, I'm going to go with 1A. I'm going to go Lad McConkie, Curtis. Come on. Welcome back, Lad McConkie. Great to see you again, my friend. Six catches, 135. Again, crazy that that was only the second 100-yard game of his career a touchdown, and just big plays. There's big play after big play from Lad McConkie. And in a game where, like I said earlier, where momentum matters and you're playing without your all everything tied in and Brock Bowers, who your entire offense is basically built around, getting Lad McConkie back healthy like that and him making plays the way that he played, Curtis, unbelievable, man. We, had to, we, we have to have a guy that can do things like that. And Lad coming back, being healthy is just – like we said, when you talk about Tyrion and Dawkins to be a game changer for the defense. Lad McConkey being healthy, Curtis, is a game changer for this Georgia offense, and that could be a difference maker for us in some of these these tough games the next couple of weeks. So just love to see this guy back. I mean, he's one of my favorites, man. Just love the way this guy works. Under recruited guy. Just love to see him have the success that he's had. It's been tough watching him. You know, came back this year and watching him to deal with that injury. And I've had back injuries, man. And I'm telling you, that stuff is crazy. It sucks. It always it just flares up randomly. So see him come back and have that kind of success. It's just um, it's great, man. Great for our team. Great for him, and just just love to see it. All right, who you got next? I'm gonna go with Pop. Oh, you stole him. All right, all right. I'm I'm glad you took him. You you are the one that needs him in the I game ball. Like We're both hard on him, and I'm you're so harder hard on him. So I will let you give him the game ball. Exactly, and that's the reason I want to go with him. And I because I know you mentioned, but I I am so hard on him. And like I said, I was frustrated with him on that first drive, but he really bounced back. I mean, that fourth down stop. Uh, um, on ETN, I believe, was a huge oh, stopper. Oh, in space. And that's, he, he usually struggles yeah. in that spot, Curtis. In space. Not only did was it in space, he fought through a pick, avoided the pick, and got there and made that tackle in space. That was a huge play. That's a play he hasn't been making all year, and I want to give him credit. And just like that one I talked about on the fourth down, he got – I believe he was on Pearsall or whoever it was in the flat. He jumped on that route it too Pearsall, quickly. Yeah, yeah even, if, even if Etienne got that ball, had a chance, if his smile wasn't in his face, I don't know if he completes the ball. Exactly, and I think that was the biggest thing. Yeah, that play, Curtis, that, that play against Etienne on the fourth down, that's like seared in my brain because I'm like, oh, my God, Pop just made a play that I don't ever see this guy make. And you're right. He, it was in pass coverage, right? 
and going around, getting through the pick, which Pop struggles with sometimes. It's all that, and then to make the play, and a guy who's got twitch is very elusive in space one-on-one, that's exactly what Billy Napier wanted in that play. That's what he wanted, and Pop made the play, man. If he plays like that, that okay, we, we got something on defense, and that's he can do that. And I guess what frustrates us, right, is that we've seen him do these things from time to time. It's just the inconsistencies, right? Is that what gets you more than anything? Exactly. I mean, that's my whole frustration. It's, it's things he hasn't done his whole career that all of a sudden he's doing. Yeah, especially the first couple games this year. It's like, dude, you're a veteran, man. Like, what? You didn't do this last year. What is happening right now? So, yeah, I just love to see him play at that. I, I want to be complimentary of him, Curse. I do not like criticizing any of our players. It's not something I enjoy doing. I don't get on. It's like, who can I criticize today? No, it's the opposite, guys. I'm like, usually I shy away from it because I don't want to do that to our guys. So, but we have to try to be as objective as we can. So it's really nice to be able to give the guy some uh, some props here when he deserves them. He played really well. Like I'll go back to what I said earlier about him, Curse. I think rush to the passer has become a strength of his. He's a very, very good pass rusher from the second level from that linebacker spot. And I, I think he's better, he's gotten better. I think Smile was better last year. I think Pop has has overtaken him as a pass rusher this year. So he's doing some good things, and I just hope that can that carries over in these next couple weeks because we are absolutely going to need him for sure. All right, so you took Pop. I'm going to go Dejan Edwards, man. Dejan Edwards here. 15 carries, 96 yards. Uh, that's on top of the 12 carries, 106 yards against four last year. Dejon Edwards is a certified Gator killer, Curtis. Two games, two career games against Florida as, as playing, well, at least playing significant snaps. 27 carries, 202 yards, four touchdowns, 7.4 yards per carry. Dejon Edwards continues to just defy logic, Curtis. And this guy is just. He's a monster, man. He's a beast, and he, again, Florida killer. He's a Gator killer. Love this guy. Lucky to have him on our team. A couple years ago, no one would have ever possibly projected him having the kind of success that he's had, but he doesn't care, man. He defies the odds. He defies logic, and he gets it done, man. So love Dejan. I, I, honestly, I'm just going to go ahead and probably reserve a game ball for Dejan Edwards every game because the guy just – he's so consistent, man. He just makes it happen. Game in, game out. Love him. All right, who you got next? I'm going to go Marvin Jones Jr. I thought, um, you know, he made some really big plays. He's getting more PT. He jumps on that strip sack because he's and then um, also that play he made on getting a negative, creating a negative play. I think the yeah, guy is yeah, really well. starting to slowly come on. He's he's cutting into Chaz's reps more and more, man. And it's not a knock on Chaz. I mean, Marvin's just a more talented athlete, right? It's just what it comes down to. I mean, there's a reason he was a five star, highly recruited guy. Yeah, remember when we got him like late in that cycle? And it's like, oh, my God, yes, what a, what a way to cap off the cycle. And it's like, okay, now we're finally starting to see. And last year he was dealing with the labrum injury, and that's just really tough, especially for a freshman. But now the light's starting to come on, and that is nothing but good things for this Georgia defense for sure. Um, great call there, Curtis. I'm going to go um, Tyke Smith. I thought he played Ooh, really well, Curtis. Good one. Yeah, I mean, I that I think I think it was against Pearsall, right? In coverage, one-on-one, man coverage. In the coming of the year, like I, I, have, I have 100% confidence in Tyke as a run defender. That's what his guy's done really well throughout his entire career. Coverage was more of a concern for me, but he's really answered the bell. I mean, he's time in, time out, been really, really good for us in coverage. In fact, maybe the best cover star that we've had under Kirby Smart. I, I really believe that, Curse. The way he's played so far this year, he's been unbelievable. And that was the big play against Ricky Pearsall, one-on-one there, and he makes a play without interfering with him. I mean, just with no help. I mean, that that's a big-time play against a really, really good receiver. And uh, beyond that, he made some really good plays. The run game, which he always does. He's just been so good for us out of that star position, Curtis. I'm really another guy I'm just really happy for because it wasn't immediate success for him. He came into Georgia as an All-American at West Virginia and uh, deals with an injury his first year here. Javon Bullard takes over last year, and he's on the bench. Got a, you know, a couple of starts when, when Javon was suspended. But um, 
he was on the bench for the majority of last year. Could have transferred out. Could have left. No, he waited. He was frustrated. He's been open about it. He's fr- he was frustrated. Of course you're frustrated. You want to play. But he handled it the right way, man, and just kept working. And look at it now. This guy is playing an unbelievable love force on this defense. So got to give some big-time props there to Tyke Smith. Are right, anyone else on your list, Curtis? Any more game balls to hand out? Um, I think that's a good group, honestly. All right, yeah, I like I like that too. I'm gonna go one more here. We mentioned him earlier. I'm gonna throw a, a shout out here. One final shout out to Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. It's I mean, Curtis, I can't imagine this guy's been dealing with the last six weeks not being able to play, man, and you're just dealing with this foot injury. Like you don't know if it's gonna get worse or bad. Like it's just a whole thing and just the unknown there. And like I, I'm just gonna tell you guys on pretty good authority from talking to some people are in and around the program during the offseason. There was some expectation in our program that Tyrion was going to have a breakout year, was going to be a big-time player for us this year. And that didn't happen, unfortunately, because of the injury situation. He dealt with it some of the offseason, played in the first game. I wasn't sure he was going to play in the first game. He did, and then re-aggravates, and now he's been shut down for six weeks. And I think we start like, – it was a very small sample size, but we saw some of what I was being told – in the preseason, the offseason about this guy and how good he was going to be for us this year. And if he can be the guy, anything close to that guy that all those people that I was talking to were were um, were suggesting that he could be this year, I mean, talk, this is a Georgia defense that's already probably the best in the SEC, but they were Alabama. Talk about another shot in the arm, man. And then that on top of Marvin Jones Jr. starting to get more and more snaps, another shot in the arm there. I think the best is still very much ahead for this Georgia defense, Curtis. And that is scary to think if you're some other, if you if you're the other teams on our schedule here, the the rest of the season, because like we've, we've been playing at a really high level for most of the season. There's been some spots where it hasn't always been great. Obviously Auburn over 200 yards rushing, but the talent's still there. And, you know, we, we kept saying, Curtis, the first half of the season, survive in advance, right? Survive in advance until we get to the bye week get healthy. And we come out of that bye week We always get better. So Kirby, a Kirby smart hallmark. We get better as season, as the season goes on. I think we're starting to see that, Curtis. We kept saying, by the time we get to the end of this season, this is going to be a different Georgia football team. And I think we're starting to see that. We're still not completely there yet, but we're getting closer and closer and closer to that point. I think we're going to continue to improve, especially with all these guys taking steps. You mentioned Damon Wilson earlier, Curtis. I think all those guys together taking steps is just going to make this team so much better as we head into this, this critical, critical stretch run. All right, so I think that's probably all my game balls. There's a couple of more guys. Maybe Dominic Lovett could be an honorable mention. He had a big game for us there. So, uh, yeah, a couple of guys that could probably deserve it as well. But I think that's a good list. So I guess that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. Thank you guys all. Every one of you, thank you so much for being here. We always appreciate all of you. Tuning in each and every week, every episode, it means a lot to us, guys. We we would not be here without you. We know that, and um, just know that you guys are very much appreciated. But what a way to kick off this tough stretch of games to end the 2023 regular season. Now, it's just the beginning. we got another tough game right around the corner here next week against the Missouri Tigers. And after that, we got Ole Miss. Then we got to go to Knoxville. It doesn't get any easier, guys. So keep coming back. We will have you guys covered for each and every one of those games. We're going to cover this stuff and preview these games like no one else out there does. So keep on coming back. For our brand of in-depth Georgia football coverage created for all you diehard Georgia fans by diehard Georgia fans. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.